0: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Matthew.
1: Real love is calling, listen, opens up your eyes. Mercy is you with every sunrise. When you have an encounter with Jesus Christ, one of two things is going to happen. Either you will be broken or you will be crushed. And by that, what he means is, when you have an encounter with Jesus, it will either be a breaking effect. You will be humbled. You will be broken in a good sense. Broken of self. Broken of, of uh, selfishness. Broken of pride. Broken of all those things that, that are about me. You will be broken. Broken.
0: Today, Pastor Gary will remind you that there are two responses that most people have encountering the Lord. When someone has encountered the Lord, you know it, because one of two things has probably happened. They've been broken or crushed. When you encounter God, it could break you. You could be broken of yourself, your own sin, and you could be made whole from this state of brokenness, if you so choose. Or you could be crushed you'll know that judgment is coming with hope of salvation. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Matthew, chapter 21, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
1: Jesus came first to His own and His own received them not, so the kingdom is going to be opened up to other tenants, if you will it's going to be made available to anyone who wants to repent and believe. And even by their own admission, they're saying, well, those first tenants, man, they're wretched. They ought ought to be be treated uh, like they deserve. And and the other tenants, there should be other tenants that, that get to rent the vineyard. And Jesus said to them then, verse 42, have you never read in the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone? talking about himself, that he's been rejected by them. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. He's quoting from Psalm 118. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit, those who will repent and believe. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. Now, what does he mean by this? What he means is this. Look, when you have an encounter with Jesus Christ, one of two things is going to happen. Either you will be broken or you will be crushed. And by that, what he means is, when you have an encounter with Jesus, it will either be a breaking effect. You will be humbled. You will be broken in a good sense. Broken of self, broken of, of uh, selfishness, broken of pride, broken of all those things that, that are about me you will be broken. However, if you do not respond in brokenness to Jesus, then the result will be a crushing effect, that there will be judgment eventually for all who reject the capstone, reject the cornerstone, reject Jesus. So it is much better to come to Jesus and to be broken than it is to come to Jesus in pride and arrogance and eventually be crushed. Now, David David would write in Psalm 51, verse 17, A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In our culture, we tend to discard things that are broken. We devalue things that are broken. If you break something at your house, if you break a picture, you break a vase, you will usually consider it of no value now, and you'll usually throw it away or sell it at a yard sale, or something like that. And so in our culture, we tend to think of broken things as being devalued. But in God's scheme of things, he sees broken things as of great value. Because when we are broken before him, then he does his good and wonderful work in our lives. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. What God is always looking for in us is that place of brokenness to be broken over sin, to be broken over our pride, to be broken over uh, our own self-sufficiency, to be broken over our own self-reliance and come to that place of humility to Jesus and say, Lord, I I just want to be your man or your woman and I, I want to be broken before you. I want to be humble before you so that then, what does God say? God says he will humble the proud and he will exalt the humble. And it's always this reverse in the kingdom from the way that we typically think in our world and the way we're typically taught in our world you know the world generally teaches you want to get ahead you step over anybody to get ahead jesus says you want to be first be last because when we're last and when we humble ourselves and when we're broken before him then god promotes and god advances and god will use us and god opens the doors and it's wonderful to see how god honors his own word and he can do far more through brokenness in our lives than we can do through our own wholeness And so he speaks here about this option. Better to be broken than it is to be crushed. He says in verse 44, He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. Now they get it. Look at the next verse. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. Now there's a chapter break here but Jesus isn't done. He's got another parable for them. Now they figured it out but he's got another one. So Jesus spoke to them again, notice verse 1 of chapter 22, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, "The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come." All right, so before I get any further, let's take a look here are some of the characters in this parable you have a king this is going to be a picture of god you have the son of the king this is a picture of jesus he's going to talk about servants again these are going to be the prophets you have invited guests to this wedding banquet they are going the first invited guests are the unbelieving religious leaders it's going to be directed at them you're going to have other guests and that will be those that it's open, the kingdom is going to be open to all who repent and believe. And then you're going to find this strange character in the wedding banquet, one guest who doesn't have on the right wedding clothes, and he's a picture of one who thought his own righteousness was good enough. So with that in mind, let's, let's make our way through this. So, he, so um, the king sends, his, uh, sends servants to those who have been invited to the banquet, tell them to come, but they refuse to come. These are the first... Guests. these are the unbelieving religious leaders. They're not going to come. They they don't they don't they don't believe in Jesus, they don't want to accept who he is. So then, verse four, then he sent some more servants and said, some more prophets, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fat and cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention. These are the first guests, these are the religious leaders. They paid no attention and they went off. One to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. Again, it's the killing of the prophets. We don't want to hear what what God says. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. Here are the second guests. Look, the invitation to the kingdom of God is open to anybody. It's open to everybody. Go to the street corners and invite anybody to come, he says. Verse 10, so the servants went into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. So come one, come all, those who are good relatively speaking and those who are bad relatively speaking because they all need to get saved all are invited to come into the kingdom of god there's this banquet that is prepared and by the way the bible speaks about it like this revelation tells us that the bride has made herself ready meaning the church and that jesus is coming again to take us to the wedding banquet of the lamb and and so there is this picture of this culmination. When Jesus comes again, he's going to gather the church, and there's going to be a, a, the, the culmination of our salvation. There's going to be this banquet, and we are the bride, and we're preparing ourselves to be ready for the return of the groom, that Jesus is the one that we're ultimately married to in the sense of this wedding banquet And so the invitation is to all go and find all good and bad, bring them into the hall. It was filled with guests. Verse 11. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. And then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. I mean, you know, I hope that didn't happen at your wedding, where somebody showed up, wasn't really dressed well enough, and you tie them up and throw them outside. Now, obviously, Jesus Jesus is using terms here to express judgment. Somebody that showed up to the wedding banquet, they didn't have on the right clothes. What in the world does that mean? Well, if you cross-reference, I'll just read there, you don't need to turn, but in Revelation chapter uh, 19 talks about uh, this the return of christ and it says in revelation 19 6 hallelujah for our lord almighty reigns let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready fine linen bright and clean was given her to wear and then in parentheses, it adds fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints what happens here is you have this picture of the kingdom of god you have the king, you have the wedding banquet of his son, Jesus is coming again. There's going to be the ultimate marriage of the bride, with the church is the bride. But you can't come in your own righteousness. Nobody's going to be accepted into the kingdom in your own righteousness or your own goodness. There's none righteous, no not one, the Bible says. So what do we have to come? We have to come in the righteousness of Christ. We have to be clothed in his righteousness. So Jesus is teaching this whole parable to get them to understand that they are the rebellious ones. They are the ones who were invited first, and they decide, we don't want to come. And and he's wanting them to see themselves. Like, you know, this invitation is open to you, but you're so arrogant and so stubborn, and you don't want to come, so the invitation is going to be given to all who want to come. But you can't come in your own righteousness. You have to come through faith in Jesus. And when you come into the kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ, you are clothed in his righteousness otherwise there's just judgment so he teaches these three parables now when we get here into the rest of chapter 22 and, and hopefully maybe we can get through this chapter tonight and then read ahead because chapter 23 is rich jesus smacks him. i mean i'm telling you what yeah you know, all of chapter 23 he just he just gives it to him and it's fun reading we'll get to that next week lord willing um, because sometimes you just need a good smackdown. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? When you read the Bible and you see the way Jesus just gives it to him, you're just like, yes. But anyway, and then you say, well, thank God I'm not the one he's smacking. <laughs> but, um, but it's fun to read when he smacks other people. But anyhow, so back to the chapter here. What's going to happen now at this point? You're going to see here in your Bibles that um, there are three attempts to discredit Jesus. So here he is in, in the temple courts. He's teaching these parables. He's poking them, getting them to realize this is about you. And then there's some groups of the Jews who are going to come, and they're going to do their best to discredit him. They're going to try to test him. They're going to try to trip him and trap him in his words. And what we're going to see here over the series of of the next several verses, we're going to see these three attempts to discredit Jesus. The first group that's going to come are Pharisees and Herodians. And they're going to try to to, uh, discredit him regarding paying taxes. That's going to be their issue. What do you think we should do? Should we pay taxes? And I'll tell you why in a moment, why it's their attempt to try to discredit him. Then you have a second group here. You have the Sadducees. And they're going to try to discredit him regarding marriage and the resurrection. And then you're going to have, finally, a lawyer who comes. And he's going to try to discredit Jesus uh, regarding the greatest commandment. then what you basically have here between these three is you have a political, a spiritual, and a legal question that each of these groups, they're going to they're gonna try different angles to get Jesus to look stupid. They're going to try to get him to uh, look like he's n- uh, not legitimate. And so here comes the first group. Now, again, when you start here at verse 15, we see the Pharisees, and we're going to see Herodians, and they come together. Now, they are strange partners in crime because the Pharisees and the Herodians never got along. Okay, The Herodians were a political group of Jews who supported King Herod, the Herodian dynasty. The Pharisees are a religious sect that were separatists. The Pharisees fought, thought that they were better than, themselves, than anybody else. That's why when you talk about somebody who has a Pharisaical attitude, they're, usually, they're just judgmental towards others. They think they're better than anybody else. That's the Pharisees. And they never got along with Herodians because the Pharisees felt like you can't like King Herod. You can't be loyal to the Herodian dynasty and, and still you know, claim to be a good Jew. They never got along. Isn't this interesting? When they don't, when they, when they don't like Jesus, they're going to partner up. And so here they come together. Verse 15, then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. And here's what they say. Teacher, they said, we know you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Like they're just buttering him up. Can you picture this scene here? We know that you are a man of integrity. Oh, surely you are. I don't know why I just went British on that, but anyway. (laughs) And and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, What is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? So here comes the tax question. Is it right to pay taxes? And Jesus, it says, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites. Why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, whose portrait is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. And then he said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed, and so they left him and went away. Now, Here comes this question about taxes. And and the issue here is the Herodians believed, because they supported the Herodian dynasty, you ought to pay your taxes. They would just feel very comfortable today. You, You ought to pay your taxes, even 50%. Pay your taxes. All right. And by the way, paying taxes in the United States of America is part of the privilege of living in our free country. I don't think there's, there's a problem paying taxes. There's a problem, perhaps, with how much of our money we should pay in taxes. But the percentage aside, Jesus is basically saying there's a legitimate claim that government has to ask for taxes. But this is how he's going to thread the needle here, because the Herodians want him to say, yeah, pay taxes. The Pharisees want him to say, don't pay taxes. That's an ungodly thing. So what he does here, in his infinite wisdom, he says, well, let me see a coin. And they give him a Roman coin, a denarius. It's got a picture of Caesar on it. He says, well, Caesar's inscription is on it. So uh, his, his image is on it. So give to Caesar what belongs to him. Now, they think that his answer is amazing. That's what it says there in verse, 30, verse 22. When they heard this, they were amazed. Because it's not just the first part that is amazing, it's the second part. It would have been enough for Jesus to simply say, well, whose image is on the coin? All right, it's Caesar's, then why don't you give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar? It's the second part that is equally as amazing. Because he says this, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God what is God's. Now look, the coin had the image of Caesar, so the coin belonged to Caesar. But who has the image of God? We do. We have the image of God. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 2 that we were created in the image and likeness of God. You were distinct as part of the human race above all of the rest of God's creation. When God created the plant kingdom, the plant kingdom was not created with the capacity to know or to think or to worship God. It's a plant. When God created the animal kingdom on the sixth day, the Bible says in the Hebrew, in the Genesis account, that he created them with nefesh. He said they were a living creature. And the Hebrew word is nephesh, And it means soul. God created animals with a soul. Don't send me emails later and say, does this mean that my dog's going to go to heaven? I don't know. (laughs) But that's because nefesh, a soul, is the seat of your will and emotion. It It is the seat of your mind, will, and emotion. And an animal has nefesh. An animal has a mind. Your dog has emotion. Cats aside, all right? They were God's experiment, all right? And and whenever you see in the Bible good versus evil, now you know. Dogs, cats, anyhow. But your dog shows emotion, expresses emotion. Your dog can get angry, Your dog can get sad, can get scared. They have nefesh. They have a capacity to think and to feel and even somewhat to reason. Versus the fern on your porch, okay, it just sits there like a fern. It can't think, it can't reason, it has nothing. But when God created human beings, mankind, he created them as a higher order. He created the male and female in his image. God created them, the Bible says. That word image means the essential nature of God. It is the Hebrew word Selem. The essential nature of God is spirit. And how you differ from your dog, which differs from your fern, is because you were created not only with a soul, with your mind, will, and emotion, the capacity to think and reason and feel, but also with a spirit. And that spirit, then, is the image and the imprint of God. So that when you die and you know Christ is your Savior, your spirit, which will also contain your soul, your mind, will, and emotion, goes to be with the Lord. The only thing that doesn't go to be with the Lord is your body, that returns to dust. And even then, the Bible says... Your perishable body will be raised imperishable, and you'll get a glorified body. I'm saying all this to let you know that you are distinct above the animal kingdom and the plant kingdom, and thus, because you and I are created with the, in the image of God, when Jesus says here, well, give to Caesar what is Caesar, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and unto God what is God's, what he's saying is, that you and I bear the image, the imprint of our Creator. And you belong to God. Now, to them, obviously, what he's saying is, go ahead and pay your taxes to Caesar, but you give your life to your creator because you bear the image and the imprint of your heavenly father. And that's what God is saying to all of us as well. Like You bear the image of your creator. And God wants to have relationship with you. And so He calls us into that personal relationship with Him because we bear His image. We are created in His image and in His likeness. And we are distinct above all the rest of creation. And that's why on the sixth day after God created man, He didn't just say it was good. He said it was very good. Because He looked at us as the jewel in the crown of His creation. And you are precious to God and you are loved by God and you are created in His image and therefore bearing his image, give your life to God, because he's the one that gave life to you. So he goes on now, and another crowd, another group address him.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary has been walking us through the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. This unique perspective on Jesus' life gives you a glimpse into the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and the true King above all kings. Jesus' greatest act while on earth was to give His life to pay for the sins of every person. That includes you. If you're ready to step away from your mistakes and failures and embrace a new life, Jesus is ready for you. His grace is enough. You can come to Him no matter what your past looks like. Would you like someone to pray with you? Or do you have some more questions? We'd love to talk to you. Please connect with us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net We'd love to meet you too. You're invited to join us this weekend at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg. We're meeting in person as well as online. And you can find all the information you need on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. There you can also hear additional messages from the series in Matthew or others that Pastor Gary has shared. Again, that website is cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for tuning in. To Cornerstone Connection.
1: They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know